It's Brent, and uh, yeah, my voice is kind of weird this morning. Anyways, uh, thank you for joining us for a new mini episode. Just a little bit of housekeeping before we go into the whole thing. Uh, once again, this is an episode that is very spoiler-filled. So if you want to watch Daredevil Season 3 and have yet to see it, don't listen to this episode yet. Um, it'll be here. You, you can go off... Watch the show, come back, still be online. Um, it's we get into the nitty gritty about uh, Daredevil season three, and and to be honest, um, we talk a lot about the other Netflix shows. I don't think we spoil anything in particular about a couple of them, but um, if you're planning on listening to them, you may want to go off and watch them now, and then come back to this episode. The other thing I wanted to mention is uh, at the end of the episode, uh, Mr. Greenfield, who uh, I, I love having Alex on the show, and I love having Nate on the show. Uh, if, if I had the time and money, I'd be doing a, a, a second podcast with those guys. <laughs> but um, uh, basically, uh, Alex promotes uh, an MLW episode, the, the wrestling company that he is currently uh, a writer and producer for. And uh, that episode went up the the Friday previous to the airing of this episode. So he says it's upcoming. It's actually already out. You can go to YouTube, look up MLW, and that match is already waiting for you if, in case you're interested. Uh, with that being said, on with the show. <laughs> Uh, welcome, loyal listeners of True North Nerds. It's Brent again, and uh, this time I have two special guests on this mini episode. Uh, I wanted to talk Daredevil, and uh, Ryan uh, had already seen the show, so he got his words in on a little bit in the last full episode. But uh, I knew two guys who uh, have some unfinished business with the the Netflix MCU, as it were. Uh, first off, we'll welcome back MLW writer and screenwriter Alex Greenfield. How's it going, man? Thanks for having me back. I can't wait for this. Me and uh, me and your other guest, uh, uh, I've already started before the show even uh, started rolling. <laughs> and I am also very happy to welcome back the uh, one of the kings of sport and the, uh, the one of the guys who was doing a Luke Cage podcast, Always Forward, and we'll get into uh, Luke Cage definitely in this episode. Uh, Nate Milton is joining us. What is going on, Brother Brent? Uh, you know, Matt Murdock may be the man without fear, but uh, pulling back the curtain to the listeners, uh, we're doing this on an NFL Sunday, and I forgot to go to the store this morning, uh, you know, with the, the time change and everything. So right now, I'm the man without beer, which, uh. which makes me very sad. <laughs> uh. That's a pun a father could enjoy. 
Um, I guess we'll get, we'll get right into Daredevil and then segue off into the 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 rest of the N- Netflix uh, MCU. Uh, I personally thought this was probably the best Netflix overall season of any of the Marvel products. Um, it it was really a good Daredevil season, but I I kind of want to hear from you guys and what you thought of it because uh, I'm I've I've seen online there's been mixed reviews on it. So I'm kind of curious where you two stand. Uh, let's start with Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm on, uh, I'm on team Brent on this one. Um, I it, it's a close contest for me with this and uh, Jessica Jones season one. Uh, but I thought this was just a phenomenal. Uh, I thought this was a phenomenal season of television. I thought it was compelling all the way through. There wasn't the norm for me. There wasn't the normal lull from episode five to eight that there usually is. And the best moments of this season are by far. I mean, when when you think of of the hallway fight or the oh, spoiler warning if you have if you oh, have, no, no, <laughs> don't worry. There's a pre-taped intro with uh, giving spoiler warnings out the wazoo. No, that last time, and I just want to be sure because I <laughs> I've got hell. I've gotten hell. I posted a picture of uh, of Fisk with a blood stain behind him and people were screaming at me saying, you showed this getting shot in the head. And I'm like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> so, um, but, but you know, the hallway fight, uh, or really the escape from building fight and the, uh, the fight in the newspaper are, are the two best things, the two best pieces of action that, that Marvel has done. um, Arguably, either the MCU or the uh, in in is in Netflix CU. Uh, I just thought they were they were great bone crunching fights. The 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 end was great. Wilson Fisk is you know you know D'Onofrio is just a blessing and a gift. Um um to to uh, to our sport. <laughs> I'm I'm used to working. <laughs> I work with Tony Schiavone. What do you want? The best in our sport. But I I thought this was compelling. I loved the B plots. Like for a fucking change, instead of the first two seasons with them arguing about about right and wrong, the fact that the the Daredevil Scooby Gang was all on board was great. I I just I loved this season top to bottom and. Uh, uh, really enjoyed it. I, I love the descent into madness for, or, or, or re-descent into madness for Bullseye. I, I just thought this was a great piece of storytelling, top to bottom. What do you think, Nate? I really enjoyed it, and I don't get the mixed reviews, except in the case of, I guess, you know, wrestling. They often talk about momentum, or at least one company often talks about <laughs> momentum <laughs> as being this big thing, and I think. Post Iron Fist season one, the Netflix MCU lost a lot of momentum because of how that series was received. And Defenders, like, I like Defenders, but I I admit that that season was not great. It it was just kind of fun seeing everybody together. Yeah. But then, you know, even like Punisher, I thought Punisher was a strong season, but the buzz, the the bloom is, is a bit off the rose with these shows. And I thought... Daredevil season three was kind of a return to form. If, if anything is going to get juice back into this franchise, it would be this because, you know, I, I enjoyed Daredevil season two, but I thought at times the focus was a little too split with the uh, Punisher stuff and the, the hand stuff and Electra. And I felt it was a little bit all over the place at times, but this was a really contained story and you had, you know, some 
interesting uh interesting juxtaposition uh if i'm using my five dollar words this week uh between uh matt and dex um and so i really enjoyed that uh the only thing that dampened my enjoyment of this and and i i will have to go back and rewatch it because right before i started watching it was when the news about luke cage getting canceled came out and so it was like you know, I went to Subway or Jimmy John's or, or your sub shop or deli of choice and got this great sub and I got home and I'm ready to eat the sub. And that news was like, when you get lettuce, that's not quite spoiled, but it's not quite right. And it's like, mm, <laughs> this, the taste is just off. So once I took the lettuce off, I can enjoy the, the rest of the sandwich here in this analogy. But uh, yeah, the, it took me a while to get into it. And so like, it almost took me a good week and a half to finish it. And usually with these shows, I can knock them out in a weekend. Uh, but because like the news was kind of a wet blanket over this, it took me a while to get into it. But once I did, I think this is, and, and as much as I love Daredevil season one, I think this might be the best example of Netflix MCU from start to finish. Now, l- branching off from that a little bit, uh, I thought how this series ended was really good too. Like we've got the the promise of sort of a better day with Matt and uh, his crew, and then we go off and we see that Bullseye is uh, getting some work done. <laughs> but it almost sort of seems like we might not get a better day because apparently the the ratings have shown that the uh, or whatever you would consider ratings for for this season of Daredevil that there was a steep drop off at some point. Uh, like halfway through the the first week or something, it was, and I don't know if that counts as everyone just blew through it in two days, or it just like after that first week, just people did not care. So where does the if you had the the power at Netflix, where do you take the MCU from here? It's Oof. an interesting question, right? Because. Um, Part of that, I, I, I read that article in, in Variety as well. And to me, like the big question is there's, there's a lot of uh, – I will, I will stay away from it. I know uh, Nate and I could talk American politics all day. But <laughs> we, are in, we are in a weird period that a, I feel like a lot of entertainment shows – uh, uh, some that I like their, that their ratings have gone down. And I think part of that is split attention. Um, we mm. particularly in the United States right now, but obviously that, that echoes through politics all over the world. Um, I, you know, I very often like Nate, I want to watch daredevil season three again, uh, because I thought it was just phenomenal. But it took me a week and a half to get through the series, and that never happens because the other things I'm watching are the are the news. And mm. I think that's true of a lot of shows right now because, you know, that's happening. We're coming up on midterm elections. We have an incredibly contentious political environment here with stories that literally break by a one guy's Twitter every fucking day. <laughs> um, it, and and it seems like like if you look across the board at ratings, you know, separate and apart, Nate can talk a lot more intelligently than I can about the big sporting events that often draw people away. It seems like real life draws people away. You know, I, I loved Haunting of Hill House, but it took me a week and a half to finish that. And I'm and, you know, my wife and I are weekend bingers. You know, we'll smoke a lot of weed and uh, 
and uh, lose ourselves to Netflix pretty frequently. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore because the other thing we're binging is the news. And I think that may be part of it. As to the broader question, um, I think there's also the Disney's on demand service to think about. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to look at the cancellation. I, I think the second season of Iron Fist was head and shoulders above the first season. And, uh, you know, I put it in the middle of, of the Netflix MCU. Granted, that was a low bar, Greeny. Yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, you know, Iron Fist season one is the low bar. But goddamn, I could do a Daughter, Daughters of the Dragon show. Sign me up. Like, yeah. I really liked what they did uh, with those characters on the show. But I wonder if we're going to have a Netflix MCU um, after what? What do we have? We have JJ and Punisher are both in in production in one form or another. They might be in post production now. Um, but I believe I so. Yes. I don't know that we're going to see. Like I wonder if the if the Netflix MCU is going to continue. Um, and whether or not they'll, you know, and there are all kinds of contractual issues involved in this, whether that move, whether they move to Disney, because Lord knows, I'd, I'd love to see Heroes for Hire, too. I mean, these are two great act, uh, one great and one getting better actor. <laughs> um, um, like, I think that'd be I'd love to see Daughters of the Dragon and Heroes for Hire. But I don't think we're going to be seeing those on Netflix because Disney wants to pull all of that in and they're investing a monolithic amount of money into making that streaming service work. Mm. And I, I, I wonder what happens regardless of what Daredevil's um, ratings were. And Netflix jealously guards the reality of what their viewership numbers are. Yes. When we hear leaks like that, they don't leak those unless they want to leak them. Yep. And if that happens, it makes me think that they're setting us up for the fall, I guess. Yeah, because for me, it, it, it's threefold. I think, you know, there's obviously the general kind of, I don't want to go as far as to say malaise, but certainly lack of momentum. There's that word again with the Netflix MCU post Iron Fist. Yeah. I think there's the political aspect in America that Greeny mentioned with more eyes being diverted to uh, the other uh, reality show rather than these shows on Netflix. But then the other thing is, yes, that Netflix, the politics of Netflix versus Disney. And it struck me when the cancellation was uh, announced of Luke Cage as and, and I thought maybe at the time I was reading too much into it. But now the more I think about it, it might have been something calculated by the Netflix side to put that news out the day Daredevil dropped, because I'm sure I'm not the only fan of, of the Netflix MCU that that left a sour taste in my mouth and maybe would lead me not to be as enthused for Daredevil. Uh, the other thing is just. Watching my Netflix, like, I remember when these shows first started coming out, you know, Daredevil season one and two, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. It felt just from the app that it was being more promoted than Daredevil season three was uh, this time around. Yeah. And sure. so, so I don't know if this is Netflix kind of flexing its muscle and saying, you know, you want to play hardball, we can play hardball because they are in a position now that they are not kind of solely dependent on this to be their flagship in terms of content as they were when the Netflix MCU first started. Cause you know, now they've got all sorts of comedy specials. They've got all sorts of other shows that people are into. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Brent, but don't they have something with uh, Mark Miller uh, worked out? Yeah. They, they bought his entire comic book universe. So no kidding. Um, 
I think that the exceptions to it are uh, Kick-Ass, I think, is is a possible exception because the movie rights still reside with somebody else. And one or two other ones. But in the meantime, he's also developing content with the entire idea that Netflix is going to turn whatever new comic he's putting out into a uh, into a property of some sort. Yeah, so they really don't need to, you know, sit at the bargaining table with, with the Marvel people because they're like, you know, we've got our own in-house stuff we can work on with Mark Miller. So I think the the relationship going forward between Netflix and Marvel and Disney is going to be interesting because as much as I love Daredevil Season 3, this could be, you know, once we get through Jessica Jones uh, Season 3 and Punisher, I could easily see a situation where they're like, okay, we're good. I, yeah. I also wonder if it's being buried in the just the sheer amount of original content that Netflix has coming out too. Like uh, the uh, the uncompleted, now completed Orson Welles movie dropped this weekend. Apparently, right? Yeah. Um, the other side of the wind. I didn't even realize that w- that had dropped yet. And not only that, apparently there's a 30 minute documentary. On finishing it, that is also like kind of basically you have to sort of search for it within Netflix mm. itself in order to find it, and that that's just like I think it's just due to the uh, the sheer amount of stuff that they've dropped. Like after Daredevil, they had uh, Sabrina came out, and that yeah. that weird horror cooking show or baking show that's on <laughs> with the Henson puppets on it, and like that. That, and I'm not making fun of any of those shows. It's just like there's there's a whack of stuff all coming out at the same time. And those shows, uh, that, that's the that's the point I was about to make. The, and those shows are to to Nate's point about the buzz we felt on those early Netflix MCU shows is the buzz that I felt from Hill House and Sabrina. Like yeah. that's where they're putting their marketing. I don't know whether it's capital exact, exactly, but the, the intellectual capital of, of marketing all seems to have gone to those. And that's, that's you know, those are the buzzworthy ones. And it felt like Daredevil was a drop in the bucket. And I'll throw this out. And I don't know if you guys noticed this. To the point of the Disney and Netflix relationship, I remember I sort of stumbled on Last Jedi when it dropped. Last Jedi, and I know it's a very controversial film. Lord knows if you'll remember the <laughs> most controversial episode of my uh, show with MVP was us debating that. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a controversial film, but it's also it's a billion dollar movie. Like yeah, it's yeah. the sort of thing that Netflix would have pushed. I had to kind of dig around and find it, and it is still difficult. I I think what's happening is the relationship between Netflix. And really outside providers as a whole is slowly – I think Netflix is becoming what HBO was in the early 2000s. I think they're it's becoming its own thing. So mm-hmm. they'll always have movies from outside. But you know they've invested, what, close to a billion dollars in original content over the next, uh, I guess, three years now or four years. Yeah. Um, I think they're wanting to become their own thing. I mean, they're now opening movies theatrically for the Oscar races uh, because they want to get in on that. They're doing better at the Emmys and are going to continue to. I think the future of Netflix is original content. And, you know, it's it's hit or miss. But my favorite Netflix movies and, and Netflix TV shows are consistently among my favorite shows of the year. So maybe that's not a bad thing. 
And if you go through Netflix, the other thing that they're doing that I haven't seen anybody else do is, you know, I watched a subtitled Indian horror movie that was a Netflix original uh, just in my crazy Halloween horror month, right? <laughs> Like they are reaching out to marketplaces that Amer- that traditional American studios and distributors are not reaching out to. Mm-hmm. I think I think Disney wants what's theirs for their streaming service, and I think Netflix is in a sort of defiant way saying, "We don't need you; you need us." Could be. So, uh, speaking of which, part of the reason I wanted to have uh, Mr. Milton on is. Uh, you did a whole podcast dedicated to Luke Cage, and now it appears that Luke Cage may be no more. Um, I was just kind of curious uh, what you thought of that last season, and uh, do you think what do you think you would do with it if it reappears in some other form down the line, maybe at a Disney streaming service or Hulu? Because that's the other thing is Disney is going to own. What fifty or sixty percent of Hulu when the yeah. the deal finalizes in January? Yeah, and so I, I want to kind of break this up into, into little uh, pieces that we can kind of dive into. And so I'll put the quality of season two aside because I know uh, Brother Greeny and I will, will have some uh, interesting conversation on that. But just from the standpoint of the show being canceled, which I guess according to everything that I've read, the the writers' room was already set up, and and Che Hodari Coker had already turned in a final uh, script, I guess, for the season. And I guess Netflix and the the creative side for Marvel, uh, were they, they couldn't come to an agreement. And the reason put out by Netflix is creative differences. And so I, I Greeny would have a better idea of what goes on in these type of situations than I would, uh, just being a creator himself. So when you heard that story, uh, Alex, and just kind of what was going on with Coker and Marvel and Netflix and ultimately the cancellation uh, uh, story coming out, well, what did you think of uh, Luke Cage not getting renewed for a third season? Creative differences eight times out of ten is bullshit for money in some way or another. It's Hollywoodese, right, for, mm. for money in some form or another. My suspicion holds to to what I was saying a minute ago. I think the creative difference and and that's not to say that Netflix necessarily um, that either Coker or Netflix or anybody involved is necessarily, you know, maybe Feige and his team wanted to exert more control. Um, I would find that weird as the Netflix shows have had nothing but creative freedom up until now. Right. Yeah. Like they they've been allowed to uh, to do what they want to do. Part of the problem, like you saw, you know, Melissa Rosenberg has gone off to where, where did she go? HBO, I guess. Ye- um, I want to say yes. Um, and, and who is who is the showrunner and, and sort of the creative force b- behind Jessica Jones? Um, the original Daredevil showrunner, pardon me for forgetting his name. Um, uh, Stephen Knight, Stephen, Stephen E. Knight, Stephen something like DeKnight. that. Yeah, Stephen DeKnight, who did the wonderful, if people haven't seen Spartacus, which was a star show that didn't get enough attention, is a very, very good creator. Comes out of the Joss Whedon Buffy group. Um, he ended up leaving. Uh, Drew Goddard uh, has a very hands-off approach now. Um, it just feels like it is it feels to me like marvel properties have become not a priority for netflix anymore mm. i think they i think nate's analysis is correct i think 
at the moment that they they started it, they needed this to get on the map. I just don't think they need it anymore. And I'm sure that the license fees for Marvel are astronomical. Why wouldn't they be? They're mm. yeah. probably, arguably, the most popular pop culture uh, um, pop culture force in the world today. Right? Um, I I. I find suspicious the idea that they couldn't agree on, you know, Luke having another long lost brother or not or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't feel like a creative difference is is really what they're doing. The other the other notion that occurred to me, and this was a conversation with wife while high. So bear that in mind. <laughs> um, this the other thing that occurred to me is. What if, because it certainly seems like we were at the point that we could set up for Heroes for Hire. What if Marvel says, no, that's a separate property. You can't do that. Mm. And that's the source of the tension. All of what I just said being absolute speculation, except for the fact of it seems really unlikely to me, given the history of of the Netflix MCU shows, um, that all of a sudden uh, there would be creative differences with a creator or or with Marvel unless they wanted there to be creative differences so that they could they could kill the contract. Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt because you know you can debate about the quality of Luke Cage season two, but I think coming off of season one and the interest uh, that 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 show garnered. I would have thought, you know, that would have at least gotten you three seasons just based off of how big season one was. Yeah. Uh, but in, in terms of actually how much I like the show, Brent, uh, I enjoyed it. And, you know, Greeny and I were talking off uh, mic earlier. I think season one, the first half, you know, up through episode six or seven, uh, to me, that was some of the best storytelling that, the Netflix MCU has done. I really enjoyed the stuff, you know, with Cottonmouth, Marshall Ali. Uh, the second half wasn't terrible, but it certainly was a a downshift in, in terms of where the show was going. I felt that season two of Luke Cage never hit the heights of season one, but I don't think it ever downshifted either. I thought that, you know, there were some things here or there that I could have done without. I could have, you know, as much as I love Rosario Dawson, I was not a, a big fan of her in season two. Uh, I could have done without uh, Mariah's daughter singing a song about what we just watched five minutes earlier after a uh, spoiler alert, Mariah dies and she's on the piano. My, my mama died cause she lied. Like I, I don't need, I don't need that. I know. I don't think anybody asked for that. Uh, but like the stuff that I did like, I liked a lot. You know, Bushmaster I thought was a fun villain. I thought the late great Reggie Cathy playing Luke's father was a good addition to the show, and I, I wish, obviously, that he was still alive, but also that they could have done more with him before uh, he had to leave the show. Uh, and I thought Mike Coulter felt more at home uh, with, with Luke in season two. So I think, yeah, there were some things that I wish they would have either tightened up or gotten rid of altogether, but overall I thought it was much more consistent than uh, Luke Cage season one. Yeah, I've kind of said from uh, pretty much like the, uh, I guess the second show that we got after... Uh, what came after Daredevil? Was it Luke Cage or Jessica Jones that we got after Daredevil initially? It was uh, Jones because that's yeah. where we first saw Luke was with Jessica. I I am kind of of the opinion that a lot uh, the biggest hindrance to all those Marvel shows 
was they had the 12 to 13 episode order mm. and it seemed like they were made to to fulfill that commitment because there's a lot of padding in most of the shows like, like you could probably cut out an episode or two episodes in a lot of them and i'm i'm kind of wondering if maybe that was one of the creative differences at all as well as they went like well we could do a really good eight season episode and netflix goes well you know we we want 12 and <laughs> but uh yeah uh, to the other point i also wonder like i i think alex is is on to something because uh, I, I I know American Netflix and Canadian Netflix do carry different product, but in terms of Netflix original content, that was a show, Luke Cage was a show that reached an audience that a lot of their other programming doesn't, or specifically an audience of, uh, of uh, people who like action stuff and like smart people of color in their shows. And... I don't. What's left now that Netflix has programmed that fills in that gap? Is there anything at the moment? Honestly, the only show, and it's not on Netflix, that comes close is Black Lightning, Lightning. on CW. Which, oh, for which that, weirdly for in Canada, show, that... that's the Netflix original. Really? Oh, we, really? Yeah, nobody in Canada picked up the. Uh, our TV right system up here is insane. <laughs> so. <laughs> Nobody picked up the streaming rights to Black Lightning. It may not even be on a Canadian-based channel. So Netflix did. So I get Black Lightning on Netflix a day after it broadcasts in the States. Oh, no kidding. That's fascinating. No, I know I've got some friends over in the UK, and there are several shows. I can't remember them off the top of my head, but there are several shows that I watch over here on terrestrial TV and um, and are available as Netflix originals over there. So that's it's a fascinating model. I think you're uh, now. I want to get into the guts of the show because, like, don't get me wrong. I am in no way saying I would put Luke Cage season two sort of in the middle of the Netflix series because there are some moments in it that, like, I thought Shade's growth as a character mm. was just phenomenal. Mm. Like that scene with. Uh, You'll remember his name, Nate, the the partner in crime. Uh, Comanche. Yeah, the 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 deal with Comanche was just beautiful. Like yeah. it was just a beautiful, um, completely unexpected moment. The conversation- Comanche, a little, little tidbit. Uh, since we brought up football earlier, I kept thinking, "Wow, this guy looks familiar." And then I finally looked it up. Former New York Jets running back Thomas Jones. So, like, this guy <laughs> has only recently become an actor. And I was like, no for kidding. somebody that's only been doing this for a couple years, he was really good. And, and, and like, in the sort of meta way, uh, a guy with that pedigree playing the character with – and I kind of don't want to give the twist away, because yeah. even though we're on a spoiler show, because it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like – I didn't see it coming, and there are all of these clues through both seasons. I, I just, I thought that was marvelous. I thought some of Mariah's descent into madness was just wonderfully played. Uh, like, it's funny because I've been a fan of Coulter since uh, he played the top heel up, the the main bad guy on. I got him so in the wrestling bubble, right? <laughs> on on uh, the show, The Good Wife. Yes, uh, and it's just like he's just tremendous. He's a tremendous presence. I find – I think the decision to make him so much more stoic than he is in the comics, mm. um, it, it took something away from me. 
And it just like I never there are a lot of supporting characters in Luke Cage who I love, but I never fell in love with Luke Cage. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's because I think more than any of the other Marvel shows, Luke Cage is maybe the least about the title character, even though, you know, it's it's a lot focused around Luke. I think when you've got people like Pop in season one or, or Bobby Fish or uh, Cottonmouth or Mariah, you know, played by Alfred Woodard or uh, Misty Knight. I just think Misty Knight is, is amazing. Oh, uh, God, she's great. That's why, the, like, the thing that I most want in the world is Daughters of the Dragon. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and I think, you know, we, we talked about uh, Finn Jones, Iron Fist. I thought prior to seeing Iron Fist season two, like, the best Danny that we got was the bit with him and Luke in Defenders and also yep. episode 10 of uh, season two of Luke Cage when, where uh, Danny shows up. And I thought those two play off of each other so well. Like, I think to your point about Luke being so stoic, I think teaming him up with Danny takes a little bit of that edge off. And it also takes some of the goofiness away from Danny Rand. I think they, they balance each other out really well. Absolutely. So we've sort of touched upon this. I guess we're probably the three of us are of the idea that there's a good chance that we might see some of these characters again in a different service like uh the Disney's upcoming streaming service or, or possibly Hulu as well. Say you got the, the keys to the car. What are you doing with those characters over at the Disney streaming service? We'll go with the screenwriter first. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My first, like if there, if there is a character who I'd love to take a track at, like the, the most disappointing um, uh, sort of show for me uh, and I'm sure I'll, I, I will get plenty of heat on this. I thought Jessica Jones season two was really not great. Oh, <laughs> like, I, I I'm with you, Alex. <laughs> it 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 just it meandered. It didn't. It it just it never it never grabbed me. And Jessica, like I love that character. She was my favorite part of Defenders, even though she wasn't one of the leads. You know, big air quotes around that. Um, it, and every every moment is. She's just a wonderful character, a wonderful actress, um, absolutely compelling. And oh, my God, that was a boring fucking show. <laughs> um, I I would find Jessica Jones a villain, a strong villain. And I mean, how do you how do you get stronger than the Purple Man? Right. Yeah. But I would find her a strong villain and that would be show number one for me. I would I would embrace the comic book history of the characters and I would I would start the real relationship that had been teased a bunch of times between uh, Jessica and Luke like that's that that's a compelling story. And and it, it humanizes Luke a little bit and gives him something to fight for um, because maybe getting back to his stoicism, maybe it's defender of Harlem isn't quite enough. Does does that make sense? Like it's a very nebulous sort of idea. Mm. Um, and even though you know the Devil of Hell's Kitchen is sort of the same thing, but I buy into Matt's uh, into Matt shtick, I guess, a little more. Well, I, I think because Luke is, and I think somebody in season one uh, made the reference that he was kind of like Harlem's Captain America, right. and I think Steve Rogers as a character and as as a symbol should be broader than just one location, just than just the United States. And I think Luke Cage as a symbol for uh, not only being a superhero, but being a bulletproof black man, that's bigger than Harlem. 
You know, that's yeah. not a just bullet, in America, bullet, that's worldwide. A bulletproof black man in a hoodie in mm. now, right now in America, in this day and age, needs to be a bigger symbol than he is. And it's like there was a sense of unreality that he was so localized. Like that's that's even in the world of the Avengers, that's national news in America right now. Yeah. And yeah. and that's where I would want to take it. Like you could go Heroes for Hire, which is fun, or you could make Luke the symbol that he needs to be. And that would be a really interesting approach for a show. Like imagine, you know, plant him, plant Luke Cage in the real world right now in America. Um, that is that is a top story that even a dude with a Twitter button uh, couldn't take away. <laughs> yeah, actually, that would be one of the my uh, like nitpick complaints about Luke Cage season two is that, like you said, he should be bigger news. But the way that social media followed him in that show is like kind of Luke Cage was a taco truck. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like he should be like on the news on like on the starting at the local affiliates and then being broadcast to like the bigger Fox News and CNN and stuff like that. But instead, it's like ah, Luke Cage is on the corner of Twenty Six and Seventh Street and stuff like that. Oh my god! Like one of my least favorite beats on the show was the whole what was it episodes three and four where he starts to try and develop his social media presence and get yes. the feel and <laughs> just felt so phony and and like I don't even know what they were attempting with that, but it just felt. Um, it felt not true to the character as he's been presented. And look, that was part of his, you know, that was part of Luke's inner struggle, yeah. but it just felt, it felt not real to me. God, the, the, the baseball field and the fight and then cutting the selfie promo. I mean, like, look, I was <laughs> doing selfie promos all the time every week. And I can tell you, uh, Luke would have required a little more production. Yeah, as, as much as I love, uh, you know, uh, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill uh, from ESPN and Stephen A. Smith, that to me felt more like a Disney ABC tie-in yeah. That, yeah. than something that actually serviced the story. And, you know, you bring up... Your thumb, too. Like, it yeah. stuck out as, here's our, our market convergence moment. And I think there's a way you could have... If if you wanted Stephen A. Smith on the show, and, and I'm, I'm sure he was a fan of the show, and he, he might have initiated it, but if you want him on the show, I think there's a more natural way to integrate him into the show. Uh, but also when you talk about that selfie promo with the dab, that was like, I think that was a moment that might've sounded good in the writer's room when, when Coker and the gang were kind of thinking things up, but in execution, I feel like it, it hindered the character in the, in the world of the show, but also in the real world. Like that was something that was mean relentlessly and took away some of the cool factor of, of Luke Cage, which I thought kind of hurt it in, in terms of perception from the audience. It yeah. reminded me, it, it's weird, all roads go back to wrestling. Um, it re <laughs> really reminds me of when you hear the commentators on Raw or SmackDown pimping out Twitter facts and stuff that seem completely ingenuine. Like we're trending worldwide, and like no, no you're not. <laughs> it really it, when you put it that way, like it was that kind of fake sort of feel to it, which breaks from the reality of the show in a lot of ways. God damn it, pal! Perception's reality. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, funny though, because I I 
I thought a lot about what what I would like, and it's if if I had control over this, if I were either you know sitting in a big chair at Disney or sitting in a big chair over at Netflix, yes, there's the, I think there's a really easy way to go with the Heroes for Hire, where you can kind of keep everybody under one roof. Uh, maybe even do I don't know if you remember the first season of Heroes, Greeny, yeah, yeah, where the idea was that it was going to be like this anthology. Uh, but then Zachary Kinto got so popular as Siler that, that they threw that out the window. Uh, I think there's a way to tell these stories as an anthology series, you know, where we bring Jessica in for a week, or we bring Luke and Danny together for a week, or we do a Daughters uh, of the Dragon episode. And so you're not counting on one person or one storyline to carry a season. You know, you can have an underlying theme, but I think if there were a way to do maybe a Marvel anthology show, that might be something where you can have these great characters. And if you've only got enough story with Luke and Danny for three episodes, just give them three episodes and then continue on with somebody else. Aren't they, isn't one of the shows that they're, that they're doing in the MCU for the new Disney service. Doesn't it operate like that? Like there's, um, I got a Loki show and I think a Scarlet Witch. Say that again. I think they got a Loki show and a Scarlet Witch that they're coming out with. Oh, oh! So they are—they are two separate shows. I, I, I yeah. misunderstood. I thought that 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 it was an anthology show that you'd have like Scarlet Witch one week, and I know they were going to use Winter Soldier and Falcon. In yeah, another. that was just announced this week. Really? So those are all separate shows. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So, so they're doing a show with uh, Mackie and Stan. Yep. Yeah, and apparently they're going to be limited. They said, but they haven't said what limited means. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Probably due to the like the I imagine those paychecks, especially Hiddleston's <laughs> paycheck. Yeah, you know that, that that's that's got to be like we can afford him for like five episodes max. <laughs> Um, it's just it's just the shot of Loki dead on the ship, and they just run <laughs> that for twenty minutes. It's like one of those. It, it but the space keeps going, so it's like you know yep. the the Christmas uh, fire you can put on your TV at Christmas. Right, <laughs> it's like that, but it's just Loki. Loki. <laughs> Loki. <laughs> I I actually like your idea of the anthology one, just because yeah. um, the 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 fanboy in me means like that means. You know, eventually they're going to run out of characters, and Moon Knight finally gets yes. his day. Oh my God, man! Yep. No kidding. I pitched on Moonlight real early in my career. At what uh, there was a brief period that Lionsgate had the rights uh, in the early two thousands. Lionsgate had the rights to a bunch of the off-brand yep. um, Marvel characters, and I went in and, and and did a Moonlight pitch. It never went anywhere. Wow. Obviously, I wouldn't be talking to you fuckers if it did. (laughs) (laughs) But but it never went anywhere. But yeah, Moon Moon Knight's always been one of my favorite characters. Well, for (sighs) for the people at Disney who obviously listen to this podcast, Greeny is available to do Moon Knight. I I will will second on that one. Available to sweep floors or... Just out of curiosity, that that sounds really interesting. What around what year would that have been? Early two thousands? Yeah, two thousand three or four. I think it was before I started at WWE. So two thousand three or two thousand four. Okay, so I'm trying to think. Was that the 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 Charlie Houston David Finch run on the comic? Was that out around the same time, or you got no idea? Am I going too? Oh, nerdy? I have no idea. Sorry. Okay, no, no worries. 
Because I, I honestly, like, I could see you working no, on that run. It would be good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm so glad that this worked out, guys. Uh, I, I love talking to both of you and having you both in the 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 quote unquote same room is uh, is really good. Um, this time, uh, before we we end off here, I want to end off with Nate. Is there anything you would like to say in in eulogy of Luke Cage now that it may have passed from uh, this oil? <laughs> uh, well, well, there's a couple things. First of all, real quick to, to kind of give my button on uh, Daredevil Season 3. Okay, yep, no worries. Best hallway fight ever. Uh, when when my, In the prison, I believe Episode 4 is when that one occurs. Yep, yep. There's a moment, and, and the thing I love so much about it is it's not Daredevil. It's just Matt Murdock. And there's a moment where there's like a beat, and he like knocks out two guys, and he's he's tired. And he's like, okay, that's that's the end of that fight. And some random inmate comes out of nowhere and delivers the best Kinsasha this side of Russell Kingdom. <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, yeah, this is great. Uh, so, yeah, I, I loved season three. Uh, I thought Vanessa is an interesting character. Uh I called her White Mariah because I think if yep. they do do a season four, she would be the lead uh, bad guy if, if I had my druthers. Uh, that would yeah, make sense. I, she's not going to prison, right, in yep. theory? Yeah. Or if she does, she's she's not going for long. Yeah. Um, but in terms of Luke Cage, I think as a show, you know, you can debate about the quality of it. Uh, you know, I've, I've got some things I really enjoyed about season two, particularly the way they left it off. Where you know you got this kind of ambiguous, morally gray Luke Cage. I I enjoyed that, and I thought there was a lot more storytelling for Coker and and his crew to do. Uh, but just as the concept, just the fact that this show existed, I think is a big deal. I think that you know the the music, the look, the aesthetic of the show was unapologetically black, and that's something that is rare. Like this is this is pre Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, when when season one debuted, and I think there's a reason why it it attracted so much attention because you're right. There's not a lot of options if you're a comic fan or a superhero show fan of color, and you want to see representation. And you know, it's not the only reason why I think this show was successful, uh, at least in the first season. Uh, there were some great actors on the show, and I would hope that there's a way, whether it be on Netflix or whether it be through Disney and Marvel on one of their platforms for these guys to be able to portray these characters again and tell more stories. Uh, but if this is all that we get from Luke Cage, I think, man, like just to have a character like this, like Iron Man, when Iron Man came out in 08, that was a B or C level character. Luke Cage was even lower on the radar than Iron Man. And the fact that we had this show uh, in this Netflix universe, I think it's cool. And I don't think this is the last we'll see uh, from Mike Coulter. I don't think this is the last we'll see from Chael Ari Coker. I think there's a lot of talented people on this show. And uh, hopefully they get an opportunity to uh, tell more stories in the future. Cool. You're here. Um, so uh, any, what was your favorite moment from uh, Daredevil Season 3, Alex? Is there one in particular oh, that stands you- out? Not to say the hallway fight. It's just, <laughs> it was such a just a, a it was such a beautiful piece of cinema um, mm. on a TV show. Um, I mean, the only thing that's really comparable to me is have Have you guys seen the John Woo film Hard Boiled? Oh yeah, no. I've got it on Blu-ray, dude. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the only thing comparable is the hallway to elevator to hallway fight. Mm. Uh, um, but but the fight out of the prison is 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 a. I cannot figure out how they managed to make that scene work. Um, and I know there are hidden edits and all of that. And yeah, like like I'm I'm in the game. I I know that <laughs> it was seamless. It was it was just. It was one of the best pieces of action uh, uh, filmmaking I've seen in years. I thought it was just a masterpiece. I hey, Greeny, real, real quick, hold on, hold on a second, because I want I wanted to get Greeny's opinion on two things. Number one, uh, just from a Luke Cage standpoint, how cool would it have been if Rosalie Carbone at the end in uh, episode thirteen at the wedding walked up with Luke Cage, you know, representing uh. kind of. The crime. That would have been a cool little Easter egg for people that actually watch season two of Luke Cage. Uh, shout out to Annabelle Siori, by the way. But also, what did you think? Because there was a, the only moment in this series or this season, I guess, uh, that made me kind of, you know, feel a little off. Like, I don't know if that's really what was needed at that point was what happened with Julie and how that character's story ended. What, what did you think of the way they handled that at the end? Because I, I like what it did, but I don't know if I liked how they did it, if that makes any sense. Uh, re- refresh my mem- memory. Which character is Julie? Julia Dex's. I don't want to go as far oh, as to say oh, girlfriend. Oh, oh okay, yeah. The target of his obsession. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Um, boy, they really fridged her, didn't they? <laughs> yes, um, literally. But it is true that the, here's the thing: it's so true to Fisk, mm. and you needed the reason for him to turn because we needed the triple threat uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, I. I will allow it. Um, I, it's, it's, there, I would have liked to have seen seen what happened, but it's also very true to how Fisk treats people. They're pieces on a chessboard, and he he needed what he needed out of out of Dex. Mm. I'm going to go a slightly different route. I really love the fight scenes in in this season. But the episode that stood out to me was the Bullseye Origin episode with uh, oh, Fisk. Oh, God, he's so creepy. Jesus. <laughs> Just how they put it together with him kind of standing in the background and sort of thinking about it with the the flashbacks, mm. I just thought was incredibly well done. Very much so. And and I'll, I will see you and raise you. Karen's episode was really completely unexpected. Yeah. And... The fact that like everything about that episode was telling you that Karen was going to die, right? Like that's that's totally the impression. Like when you get a flashback like that, yeah, it feels like that's where you're going. Um, and that we then get to just the 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 brilliance in the church. I thought I thought mm. both of the off a story episodes in Daredevil this year were were really just wonderfully done. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I I um. A- big fan of the Miller uh, run on the Daredevil comics. And when they first introduced Karen, I felt I feel a little bad now because it was my wife turns to me and like, what, what's she like in the comics? I'm like, she's a whore that ruins Daredevil's life! <laughs> <laughs> because she gets injected to drugs and sells them out and she does porn and everything. But I really loved how they build her character but the comics intruded again. Because she dies in Kevin Smith's run by Billy Club from Daredevil or from uh, Bullseye. So when they show that part and then Daredevil just steps up and blocks it or or, Mm. no, it goes into the priest. Sorry. 
I was I was really surprised at that. Oh yeah, I thought I thought that was the moment from from the Miller run because like I have those collections. Here's the thing about Frank Miller. Let's talk. Let's talk problematic. For oh, <laughs> this is a whole uh, other episode. Frank but Miller, let's go. <laughs> Frank Miller could not write a woman who wasn't a whore to save his life. Oh no, very much so. Now that I'm an adult, like you, there's a lot in certain bits and pieces of his writing that is very problematic. Bits and pieces. Outside of Martha Washington, I don't believe he ever wrote. Like, I can't think of a woman in Frank Miller who doesn't end up being a, 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 a there's some there's some issues is where I'm going to leave that. Yeah. But like you, I, I read that original run like I'm still waiting for. I mean, we've seen stick, but we haven't seen stone or staff. Right. Like, yep. I'm still waiting on them to show up like I, I want stone on camera, man. Another big plus for season three, no hand, because that's what I was dreading yep. coming yeah. into this season, that we would get sucked back in to that. And yes, the, the lack of hand, uh, the lack of hand uh, oversaturation, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, no, yeah. I like and I like like that is the, the Joss Whedon, like they built up a big bad and they and they got rid of them. And though I miss Madame Wu, um uh, for for the most part, I will be delighted to not see the hand in the Marvel Universe again. <laughs> With that, we come to the end of this episode. Thank you very much, guys, for uh, for joining us. But uh, we'll let you give out uh, the details of where our listeners can find you guys. Uh, let's start with you, Alex. Uh, I am, uh, let's see on social media. I'm at Alex D Greenfield on Twitter and this coming Friday night, maybe depending on when the show drops. Um, we've got a really good episode of, uh, of MLW fusion on television, uh, in which, uh, low key will defend the world heavyweight championship against Daga in a match that, uh, got a lot of buzz, uh, online over some events that happen in it. And it's, it's a really compelling, it's, it's one of the reasons I love professional wrestling. Uh, you know, you get a really strong villain in there. Um, uh, Daga, uh, who makes his MLW debut in a title match is just an incredible performer. He's a luchador with a great strong style background out of, out of Mexico. And, uh, he and low key tear the house fucking down. Mm. Okay. I'm definitely in for that. Nate, where can my listeners find you? Uh, all right. Uh, look here. You can't burn me. You can't blast me. And you definitely can't, bro. Oh, my Luke Cage flashbacks. I was about to <laughs> damn. I'm not ready to keep going, man. He's cutting a selfie promo. Uh, <laughs> but no, you can check me out uh, on a couple different shows. Uh, I am on the Kings of Sport uh, with Marcus Vandenberg of Yahoo Sports. Um, I am on Place to Be Nation's main event, which is a bi-weekly show. Recently, I was on the post-wrestling uh, Crown Jewel Extravaganza, which had like a million people on it uh, talking about that event and the politics surrounding uh, said event. Uh, and also, Always Forward, which, which might be the show that most appeals to your listeners, Brother Brent. Uh, it's a show focused on the uh, now-departed uh, Netflix series Luke Cage. Uh, we got season one in the can, and we're going to start up season two, Ephraim and myself, my co-host, uh, pretty soon. But 
up right now, the latest show that I did was a show actually with my niece where we reviewed season one of Cloak and Dagger on Freeform. Ah, yeah. How is that? I haven't checked it out yet. I really enjoyed it. Like, I think it's obviously a different uh, audience that they're targeting than the Netflix shows, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, You know, there's some hokey things there, uh, but I I enjoyed the the lead actors and the, the connections to the larger MCU. I thought it was a good show. So that was the review on Daredevil Season 3 and all things Marvel Netflix. I'd like to just sort of uh, put out there again that uh, thanks to Alex Greenfield and Nate Milton for uh, coming on and joining me for the show. Um, they're, they're both really cool dudes. So uh, please, if you're interested in pro wrestling at all, uh, check out uh, Alex's work on MLW, which you can find on YouTube. Um, as well, Alex is also a screenwriter, as you noticed in the show. He uh, he name dropped that he uh, pitched on a Moon Knight movie once upon a time, and oh man, I so got to grill him about that later. Um, but uh, I I can't say much. But I uh, talking to Alex off air, he's got some more cool non wrestling stuff sort of in the works. Um, but, uh, if you want to find out more about that sort of thing, uh, follow him on, uh, Twitter as well. Uh, Nate, Nate is, I've known Nate for years and I'm always glad to have Nate on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to always forward coming back because it, it was really an interesting way of covering a show. And now that it, I think it's going to be even more interesting because it sounds like they're basically going to get kind of another watch uh, of season two of Luke Cage. So they might have even more things to say about it than they did the, the first season. So you can follow, uh, Nate on Twitter at, uh, and it's under, uh, his, uh, name, Nate Milton or, uh, Nate mosaic, I think. And the, it's like N the number eight mosaic on Twitter. And, uh, beyond that, follow him on, uh, Kings of sport. I'm not a big sports guy other than baseball. And I, I find the show is really interesting and they, they're much like our show. They, they go off on tangents on other things too. So, uh, thank you for listening to this mini episode and we will catch you next week with another full length episode. Set your phasers to sexy. You've been listening to the True North Nerds, recorded at the Utility Cupcake Research Kitchen. Reach the nerds on Twitter at True North Nerds, on Facebook under, surprise, True North Nerds. And you can reach them by email at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. If you like the opening theme song, it's called Set Your Phasers to Sexy by Kirby Crackle from the album Sounds Like You. Please go to KirbyCrackleMusic.com or look them up on iTunes and buy everything that they have made. You won't regret it. So set your phasers to sexy.